Okay, good morning to church. Okay. I, well, it's um, a joy to be, you know, to be able to share God's words, you know, with God's people. And um, happy Palm Sunday. Yeah, it's Palm Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> In them, some Orthodox churches, they'll probably have palm leaves and all that. Well, we thank God. It's not um, in the leaves, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I feel the Lord is, has laid on my heart to share with us today, if we want to give it a title, it's um, the triumphal entry of Jesus, an example of worship, witnessing, and waiting. An example of worship, witnessing, and waiting. And um, the main trust of um, the message will be on waiting on the Lord. Yeah, so that will be the main emphasis, really. Yeah. Um, the triumphal entry, as we all know, was the event of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey on the Sunday before the crucifixion. And that is a Sunday we call Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry is one of the few accounts in the life of Jesus that was recorded in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, whilst the, in the book of John, in the account of um, the triumphal entry, it was more of a summary that um, John gave. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, gave a full account of what actually happened when Jesus was going into Jerusalem. And it was such an important one, such a significant event. And in dissecting it further, it further gives us a backdrop into the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it was like a foretaste of what actually Jesus was going to do in the course of the week. And I'm going to read the, um, the scriptures. I'm going to read Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11, from the New King James Version. Okay. Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Lose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And verse 10. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? 
Finally, verse 11. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. If we were to make a movie of that um, account, there'll be some main characters there. And Jesus is the main character, as we all know. But there'll be other, other people, you know, the disciples that Jesus sent, the donkey that Jesus rode on, and the crowds that were there praising God. So we'll just briefly look at some of these M4 characters from this account. As we know, Jesus, as a central character in the text, sent his disciples to liberate a donkey that had been tied. And if you look at the account in the book of Luke, it says that no one had ever rode on that donkey. No one had ever ridden on, that, on the donkey, I should say. Jesus rode on that donkey into Jerusalem. And it was deliberate that Jesus chose a donkey. Not another type of animal, but a donkey. And as we heard earlier when Rachel was um, sharing with us, when, when she, before she gave the announcement. Jesus is not come on a horse, but he chose to come on a donkey as our servant king. And when a king in those days come into a city on a donkey, the king is mainly saying that I'm coming in peace. But if a king comes on a horse, he's saying, yeah, I'm coming for war. There is battle ahead. But Jesus chose to come on a donkey, signifying that he's coming into Jerusalem and he's coming in peace. And we know that Jesus is the prince of peace. And he was coming to make peace between us and God. And Jesus was actually telling us that that was what he was going to do in the coming days ahead. He was going to fulfill that prophecy. He was going to fulfill the main reason why he was here on the face of the earth. It wasn't an easy thing, <laughs> knowing that in the next few days, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be laughed at, he's going to, have, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be crucified, nails will pierce through his hands, and his feet. He knew what he was going into, but he still chose to do it because he loved you and because he loves me. Similarly, in that text, Jesus sent two of his disciples on a mission to go and untie the donkey and the colt and bring them to him. Jesus was giving them a message that there is a situation that needs rescuing and that he was sending his disciples to. Can you say the word send in that text and the word go? Okay. And when, in another context in the Bible where the word Lord says, go, we saw in Matthew chapter 28, after 
the resurrection and Jesus appeared to the disciples and he told them, yeah, this is my last commission to you. Go into all the nations. Go, into, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But as Jesus was going into Jerusalem this time around, he said they should go. But this time around, is not necessarily to all the world, yeah, but go into the village that is in front of you. In the English Standard Version, it says, go to the village that is in front of you. And I begin to wonder, what is our village that is in front of us? That immediate environment to us. Is it our family? Our family members who do not yet know the Lord. Is it our community, our neighbors, people on our street who do not yet know the Lord? Is it somebody in need that is close to us, around us? Is it in our workplaces, our work colleagues, the people that we interact with, our clients, that village that is in front of you? Or is it a fellow brother or sister who is going through one challenge and the Lord is saying, I'm sending you into that situation that needs the attention of heaven? Or is it in the storehouse when we are trying to meet the needs of others. And Jesus is saying, go into that village that is in front of you. And that is what Jesus is calling us to as disciples, to go and make a difference, to bring his kingdom into situations that are difficult. So this donkey and the cult were tied, but they needed liberating. Okay, I'll skip the donkey for now, and I'll go to the crowd. You have the crowd as well in this story, but it's not really a story, it was a real event. So. And when Jesus was on the, on the donkey, when Jesus was lifted up above all, he saw that the people were praising the Lord. The people worshiped. The crowd, the people around, the nations worship Jesus. And they said that Jesus is Hosanna. You know, they, they declared Hosanna to the son of David. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they saw Jesus as the Lord. They saw him as the king. And they saw him as the savior. Because actually the word Hosanna means, I beg you to save or please deliver us. That is what Hosanna is. So in that context, the people were worshiping Jesus as their king because they were hoping that he's going to liberate them from the oppression they were in. And they saw him as the savior and they saw him as the Lord. And they were able to bring their true worship to Jesus. 
And that is what the Lord is calling us to as believers. That to bring our true worship to him, we must see him as our king, as our Lord, and as our savior. So he's not just the one who has saved us from our sins or who has redeemed us from destruction, but the one that we are going to lay our lives for and lay everything for because he is the king. We submit to him. We submit to his lordship. And that is why they could cast their clothes on the, on, 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 on the ground, not for the donkey, but for Jesus. Yeah, they left everything for Jesus and they submitted to him. And that is true worship. In fact, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked Jesus to rebuke the crowd, rebuke the disciples, what's all this that they are, they, they are doing? And Jesus said that if these ones should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So the Lord is calling us to worship. And finally, I will talk about the donkey now and then we'll be able to go into the trust of the message. So I'm not going to give any zoology talk on, about donkeys. So, <laughs> so it's about the anatomy and, or the physiology of donkeys. But this donkey was tied. The donkey even had a baby, but no one had ever ridden on that donkey. And I was just wondering, perhaps the owner didn't think that there was so much value he could derive from that donkey. This donkey was not free like every other donkey to do what others, other donkeys will do. When um, the disciples even went to get the donkey, Jesus said, well, if anybody asks you, tell them that the Lord needs it. But if it was something precious, I wonder if the, the, the owner would put up a fight that, no, you are not having that one. Well, you can have this other one, but not that one. Maybe it wasn't the choicest of his donkey. Maybe they didn't think it was something worth fighting for, something of value. Say, oh, that, that's fine, you can take it. I don't even need it. So. But Jesus saw that there was a donkey somewhere that probably they didn't place much value on, but heaven placed value on that. And I feel in my spirit, the Lord saying that there may be someone here who feels you're forgotten, you're forsaken. You feel that you've been cast out. But the Lord is saying to us today, that he's not forgotten about you. That he sees you right there where you are. And he's not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. And he's reaching out to us today. He's reaching out to you today. He's saying, come over. He's ready to welcome us back to himself. Okay, 
the Lord says in, and well, the Bible says in Isaiah 43, 1 to 2, that, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So Jesus is saying that when you're going through stuff in life, I am there with you. I see everything. How random, you know, Jesus wasn't even there near that place, but he knew that there was a donkey somewhere. And I was wondering, this particular donkey must have waited for this moment in history. It wasn't just something that happened to that donkey in an instance. There was a period of waiting for that donkey. And the Bible prophesied in, um, in, in, in the book of Zechariah, prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 9 verse 9, that rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a, of a donkey. To be clear, this prophecy was not about the donkey. This prophecy was about Jesus. Okay. But there was a donkey in that story, in that prophecy. And in that picture, that particular donkey that had been forsaken all these years, when the word of God came, when the word of God was fulfilled, that donkey became liberated. So there was a waiting period for that donkey, but God's word came. And for someone, perhaps, God's word is coming to you today. Joseph was another man who waited for God's word in his life. He had the dream that one day he will be great in his father's house. But rather than that dream coming to fulfill, fulfill, um, fulfillment, rather than the dream being actualized, it seems like his life was going from bad to worse. He was going down. He would have even just said, I would have just preferred to just stay in my father's house have the coat of many colors and just, you know, be content with that. But it seems like life was going in the opposite direction to the vision that he saw of himself. And Psalm 105, verse 17 to 22 puts it, you know, puts the summary very nicely about Joseph. He says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they ought his feet, with fetters, he was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. When the word of the Lord came for Joseph, the Lord turned his experience from prison to palace. 
but he had to wait until his word came. And in our society these days, in the world, waiting is not something that we, we are conditioned to, 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 to do. The, the world is like, you know, things are being automated, that things should just be fast. You know, we look at processes and we say, how can we make it better? And which is a good thing, yeah, which is good. I was just thinking about it, that, you know, before the days of internet banking, online banking, if you want to make a payment, you pay by checks or something, you have to go to a bank, you know, submit your check, and yeah, it maybe takes about three, four days before it gets cleared. But now where you are seated, within a few seconds, you can tap on your, your phone, and you've made the payment and it's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> even now, if, if you receive checks, you can even scan it on your phone, and it gets deposited in your bank almost immediately. We don't have to wait any longer. If we want to order takeaway, where you are seated, apps on your phone, you can quickly do that, you know, <laughs> order takeaway, and it comes to you. And I don't know, maybe they should even change it from takeaway to brought to us. <laughs> and things are programmed to just be fast. I was typing some emails um, not too long, and you know, now when you're typing, it gives you suggestion of what you should put there. And most of the time, those things are actually right. You just, you know, put tap, tap, tap. So instead of typing so many letters, just one, one, one stroke, <laughs> and you keep going. In fact, I finished typing my email, and it gave me a suggestion for the subject for my email. And it was the right suggestion. And I said, wow. This thing is reading my mind. <laughs> but I was happy because it made my life easy. It was so fast. Within a few seconds, I had finished the whole email, sent it. But even in spite of all this, we still wait. We still have to wait sometimes, even in, in our world. Sometimes we have to wait for appointments. Sometimes we have to wait in the traffic. Sometimes when we go to a restaurant, we still have to wait for our, our food. Just um, in, the, in the week, I was going to work and you know, driving through the country road, and um, there was um, a tractor in front of me. And it's one of those days when you're cutting it fine. You want to get to work on time. And from 60 miles per hour, it went down to 20 miles per hour. Just say, well, I just have to enjoy this journey. <laughs> And you just hope that the tractor will turn off at some point, but it seems like, no, we are going in the same direction all the way. <laughs> but it was good because I was able to just, you know, relax, you know, enjoy that ride that day, contemplate, reflect, and I enjoyed that period that the tractor was in front of me. Yeah. And sometimes the Lord brings us from the fast lane of life into a waiting room. It's not usually pleasant. But sometimes you just have to, you know, yeah, understand that the Lord knows the timing and the seasons of our lives. So, yeah, this donkey waited before it was liberated. So what does it mean to wait? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? In the Old Testament, the word most translated wait, when we are talking about waiting on the Lord, is the Hebrew word called Kava, Q-A-V-A-H, Kava. And literally, it means to bind together. It's like you're binding together a rope. 
and it signifies strength and endurance. But in the figurative sense of that word, cover, it means to wait or to tarry or to have an eager expectation. Similarly, in the New Testament, the frequently used um, word in Greek for waiting is prosdikomai, which means to receive to oneself or to welcome. It also means to expect or to wait for. So in, 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 in the two words, one can see that there is an expectation in waiting. So when one is waiting, there is an expectation that God will come true for us as believers. And that waiting is based on our trust in God. When we are waiting, we are demonstrating our total dependence on God. Psalm 62, verse 1 to 2 says, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 5 to 6 of the same Psalm 62 says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So when we wait on God, we are acknowledging that he is our security and he is our stability. That is that firm foundation that we can have, that we can absolutely depend on him. We are also acknowledging the sovereignty of God over our lives, that our times and our seasons are in his hands. And it is according to his plans and his purposes that he fashions out our lives. We also acknowledge that he is our sufficiency, that all that we need is from him and from him alone. Also, when we wait, we will not be ashamed because Psalm 25 verse 1 to 3 says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So when we wait, we will not be ashamed. We will not be put to shame. Also, when we wait on the Lord, that is where we understand the plans and the purposes of God for our, for, for our life. It is in waiting that we know God's ways and God's paths for our life. Psalm 24, Psalm 25, rather, verse 4 to 5 says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day. So when we wait on him, he shows us his path. He shows us the direction for our lives, the template that he has for us. Waiting on God also demonstrates our trust in the goodness of God, that our God is good. Lamentations 3.25 says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 
Isaiah 64 verse 4 says the God, that God acts for those who wait for him. So he's acting on our behalf. He's working for us. And he's a good God. And the beauty of waiting is that waiting is a two-way thing. It is mutual. As we are waiting on God, God is also waiting for us. That donkey was waiting to be liberated. Jesus was also waiting for the disciples to bring that donkey to him and for him to ride on it. So Jesus is, the Lord is also waiting for us. Isaiah, Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So when we wait for God, he is also waiting to show us his compassion, to show us his grace, to show us his unfailing love. It's a relationship that we have with him. It's a place of intimacy. We may ask ourselves, so what should we do when we are waiting on the Lord? So is it just a time of saying, okay, whatever, what will be, will be. Let's just carry on. I, just, I, have to, I don't have to care about anything. I'm just waiting. This waiting is an expectant waiting. It's, an expect, it's a waiting that is full of expectation that God is coming true for us. And Proverbs 23.18 says that surely there is an end and the expectation of the righteous will not be cut off. So when we are waiting, what should we do? That should be a time that we spend with God in his word, studying and walking in the truth of the word of God, claiming the promises of God, understanding the mind of God over the situation that we are going through, and walking in the light of that word. When we wait, is a time to spend in prayer, in pressing on in the Lord and pressing in in him. Sometimes we go through stuff, and even when we come to pray, we cannot even fully articulate those things into words, how we feel. Well, you know, it's okay not to be able to even say those words out. And it's okay to just come to the Lord and groan. And just come and say, mm, God, you see what I'm going through. And we come with him with our groans. Because Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even when words fail us, it's okay to make our groanings known to the Lord. And when you don't know what to say, just pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. When we are waiting, it's also the time to spend in praising and worshiping God. James encouraged us this, um, this morning, you know, on praising God. So that's a time to spend in praising him, worshiping him. 
Paul and Silas in the book of Acts of Apostles, chapter 16, when they were in prison, not only were they just thrown into prison, they were chained inside the prison. But they chose not to look at the circumstances around them. They chose to praise God, even within that horrible circumstance. Someone say you can pray amiss, but you can't praise amiss. So sometimes when we are overwhelmed, just begin to praise. And we'll see the tremendous power of God move on our behalf. When Paul and Silas were praising, the chains went off, the prison doors went off. And the Lord did not only deliver Paul and Silas, he delivered even others around them. So sometimes because of you, the Lord will begin to liberate the people in your community, people in your family, people in your workplaces just because of you. The time of waiting is also a time for us to evaluate our lives, our priorities, our values, our goals, and assess how do they align with God? How do my priorities in life align with the priorities of God? Is a time for us to take the right action and not just acting on negative impulses or what is convenient for that time? You know, when Joseph was twice sold, was first sold to the merchants, the Ishmaelites, and those ones then sold him on as a slave to Potiphar, and to, yeah, to Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife was going to lust with him, and um, Joseph could have just said, well, this is just an easy way out. After all, I'm far away from home. I'm here. God, where are you? But he chose to be a man of integrity even where no one would identify him as a person of God. And he said he could not do that wicked thing against God. So even in that very difficult situation that he was in, Joseph still decided to do what was right while he was still waiting for the fulfillment of the vision of the promises of God. He chose to do what was right. A time of waiting is also a time for us to rest in God's timing, a time for us to remain still and be calm. It's not a time to fret. Psalm 37 verse 7 to 9 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from hunger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evil doers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the heart. When the children of Israel were going from um, leaving Egypt and they got to the Red Sea, they had the Red Sea in front and the chariots of Pharaoh behind. So you, you, you can't really choose between either, really. And they were afraid. Naturally, if one is in that situation, one would be afraid. And Moses encouraged them, says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, 
and you shall hold your peace. So when we are waiting, it's a time for us to just remain calm in the Lord. Be at peace. When we're waiting, we should also be contented with God's provision. Based on the total confidence that we have in God that he's able to meet all our needs because he's able to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. In the midst of famine, the Lord fed Elijah through unlikely and unexpected sources. Ravens brought him food. The Lord fed him through the widow. Come on, widow. How can somebody who had nothing be the one that could sustain <laughs> a man of God in the midst of famine, not in the midst of plenty? And that can only be God. I'm just going to run through the rest because I know time is gone now. But what are the benefits of waiting? What does waiting do for us? Waiting on God gives us the enjoyment of God. Pastor Steve says this a lot, you know, the enjoyment of God. It's in the place of waiting that we actually enjoy intimacy with God. We enjoy his presence. Psalm 63 verse 1 to 5 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. So when we wait on him, we enjoy God. We have that intimacy with God, and we have that fellowship with him. It gives us, you know, it blesses our soul. Waiting on the Lord also transforms us. It brings transformation into our lives, transformation into that situation that we are going through, transformation all around. Yeah. James also mentioned about transformation today. <laughs> the Lord transforms our weaknesses to strength. When we come to the ends of our tether, we've come to our wit's end, we've done everything, but it's not worked. But the Lord is able to transform that in the place of waiting. Isaiah 40, verse 29 to 31 says, He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, increasing strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord also produces spiritual maturity in us. Yeah, it matures us because waiting is one of our Christian disciplines. So it helps us, it's, you know, develops us. And James 1, 2 to 4 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And when we wait on him, the Lord also brings us 
from despair into a good place. It brings us out of a miry clay and it sets our feet on a solid ground. It puts a new song in our mouth. It makes everything to, to just come anew again. When we're waiting, it also gives encouragement to others. You know, the things that we have gone through, how the Lord has helped us, can be a testimony that we can use to encourage others who are going through difficulties. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 4, he comforts us in all our tribulation that we may comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So our testimonies basically become a springboard for other people. But sometimes we don't get it all right. And, there, and when we choose not to wait on God, there are also negative consequences with that. When the children of Israel chose not to wait on God, Psalm 106 says, verse 13 to 15, that they soon forgot his works and did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. So there is that feeling of emptiness when we just choose to do it our own way. Abraham was an example of someone who was trying to help God out. He didn't want to wait. And we know he had a child of convenience in Ishmael rather than wait for the child of promise. And we all know, you know, the Bible described Ishmael as um, a wild donkey of a man. And we're all acutely aware of how the descendants of Ishmael have been an adversary to God's people, even till today. But the good thing is that our God is gracious. The story did not end with Ishmael, with Abraham. The Lord gave him Isaac, who was a child of promise. And as we said earlier, that God is waiting to show compassion. Even when we miss it, when we get it wrong, he's still there waiting to show his grace, his compassion, his love towards us. He said, I love that song, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. He said, there is no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after, after me. There's no world you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. So the Lord is actually coming for us as well. So it's a two-way thing. And he's going to break every barrier to get to us, to take us out of that terrible place that we are in and to bring us to where he wants us to be. And that's because of the compassion that he has for us, because of his unfailing love that he has got for us. I'm beginning to land this message now. When we're talking of waiting, there's an ultimate waiting that we as believers are doing, and that is waiting for the coming of Jesus. 
Titus 2, 11 to 13 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we are living and doing everything about life, let us do it with eternity in focus. Because that's the ultimate waiting. Waiting that one day, Jesus is coming back. Philippians 3.20-21 to 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the walking by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Where we weep, Dopa. Amen. So if, as I conclude the message today, I want to encourage us that during this season, especially as we go into the Passion Week, let's reflect on the triumphal entry of Jesus and what Jesus did for us. Let him be the centerpiece of everything in our lives. Let's bring our true worship to Jesus. Let us be challenged to go into the village in front of us, our families, our communities, our workplaces, wherever God has given us spheres of influence. Let's go into such spaces and be a witness for Christ. And let us remember to wait for him and wait on him. He sees us where we are. He understands our struggles. He is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows your name and is reaching out to you in grace and in compassion, saying, lose him or her that we may show further praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just as Jesus called out that donkey from obscurity and sat on it and the people praised the Lord, Jesus won our lives to sparkle again. So let's reach out to him today. Above all, let's also eagerly wait for his coming because he's coming again. So if you are here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you are tired of doing it all your way and you want to respond to the love of Jesus Christ, please talk to me, talk to Glenn or Pastor Steve or any of the elders about what it means to be part of God's family. So God bless you all and Hosanna to the King of Kings. Amen. Amen.